0: petersfield's shine radio shine radios growing together with claire venice and steve amos is supported by alitex modern victorian glasshouses made in south harting
1: welcome to growing together the gardening podcast from petersfield shine radio i'm steve amos and once again i've been deserted by claire she is ticking one of my things off my bucket list. She's off to Chelsea for the day. Press day at Chelsea without me. How rude. Uh, Anyway, she's got an exciting day planned. and I'm looking forward to hearing what she's got to say. Meanwhile, I'm staying here in my greenhouse. Last knock-ins with the dahlias ready to plant this weekend.
2: This year's Chelsea Flower Show contains 12 main show gardens, seven sanctuary gardens, smaller gardens and trade stands as well. This is the second year I've attended the Chelsea Flower Show. I'm really looking forward to coming back again, meeting new friends as well as catching up with old acquaintances. Let's see what happens this year. I'm at the Gays Burville stand here on Main Avenue. It's very exciting. There's a great buzz around the place as the Chelsea Flower Show press day starts to really get going. And I'm joined now by Geraint Richards and he's going to tell us a bit more about Action Oak. Hi Geraint, great to meet you.
3: Hello then. lovely to meet you too. Now my name is Geraint Richards, I'm the head forester for the Duchy of Cornwall and I chair the initiative called Action Oak. And the Action Oak was launched at Chelsea Flower Show five years ago. And it came about from lots of concerns amongst the, the tree woodland sector about the threats facing our native oak trees. We have two native oak trees, quercus petraea and Quercus roba, and they're probably our most important tree for all sorts of reasons. They've of course produced wonderful timber, like the building we're standing in at the moment, and they've provided so much for, for boats and buildings over the years. But of course they're also great hubs of biodiversity. Oak trees support over 2,300 other species, and of course we love them. They look great on the landscape, they've been part of our culture, our poetry, our literature, but they're faced by many threats, climate change, numerous pests and diseases, and, and we've been really worried about their demise and decline. So what we did is bring together all the relevant sectors to form this partnership, to form Action Oak. And what we're really trying to do is fund the vital research that is needed to safeguard our oaks. And of course that's you know quite long-term research, some of it, there's a myriad of threats, but we also then want to translate that research into practice that people like me, foresters on the ground and people who are connected to trees, can apply. To make sure we maintain the health of our oaks and have them on our landscape for generations to come.
2: Yeah, that's quite concerning. I didn't realise the oaks were in danger. Everyone, I think, is familiar with ash, ash trees and ash dieback. But to hear about the oaks being in trouble as well, that's really quite scary.
3: Well, if, if you look at it, all our elms were, went in the 1960s, <laughs> Dutch elm disease. We've now, in the last 10 years, seen the demise of ash. There are a myriad of pests and diseases threatening other species. But no oat. I think we've kind of taken it for granted. It's always been there. Some of them are sort of a thousand years plus old. It's always been there. And we think they'll always be there. But actually there are things like acute oat decline. We're seeing the decline in a number of our, in our oat trees around the country. Here in London, you might think of like oat processionary moth, which is this, this moth with this nasty caterpillar, actually has more of an effect upon um, human beings. It's a skin irritant than, than maybe on the tree. But they're just a few of many pests and diseases threatening our oat tree. And and we just can't afford to lose our oak trees in the way we're so sadly seeing the loss of our ash trees. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So what is Action Oak doing here today at Chelsea?
3: Well, this is just a fun event. Gaze Burville, the stand we're on, have wonderfully made uh, a bench out of pure oak called the Amity Bench. And uh, they're selling it, but out of every sale they're given a donation to Action Oak. And the Action Oak uh, logo, the little leaves and acorn is carved on the back of every bench. And the very first bench is actually rather wonderfully going to be given to His Majesty the King. And so what we've done is unveiled that bench. It's been a delight to have Lord Bennion, the Biosecurity Minister here, Rob Penn, an author who writes lots about trees, and a number of other very special guests. And, and the bench has been unveiled. And with some Chelsea pensioners behind as well.
2: Oh, brilliant. I saw that actually earlier. What's so special about the bench?
3: I think the main thing is, firstly, it's, it's made out of pure British oak. So it just tells you why oak is so valuable. We love our oak trees standing, but historically they've also been really important for the timber. Like I say, we've made boats, we've made buildings out, out, out of oak, and, and you just drive around parts of the country. Some of the oak buildings are hundreds and hundreds of years old and still standing. It's the most sustainable timber and beautiful. I'm just touching a, an oak table here as I lean on it and talk to you. Um, it's the most tactile, beautiful wood. So, one, it's made of British oak. It's made by expert craftsmen here in the UK, employed by Gaze Burville. But, of course, it's got this wonderful name, the anatomy bench, symbolising the friendship and union between people. And it's got the Action Oak logo carved on the back. So, it's a very special bench. To, uh, and, and, you know, we're just delighted that they're making a donation from the sale of every bench to the cause.
2: And are you going to present the bench to King Charles this afternoon?
3: It, it won't be today, but it, but it is. It, he is aware of it, and it. It will be given to him at some point in time. So, it's a very beautiful piece of furniture.
2: Brilliant, congratulations. So what can people do uh, listening to this podcast now, listening to you talk about the issues that we have with the oak trees? What can people do to help preserve our oaks?
3: Well, I think firstly, go on our Action Oak website. Um, You'll find it and uh, learn more about the threats to our oaks and, and support us in any way you can. But I think generally we'd like people to be more aware of the various pests and diseases affecting our plants and trees. There's something called Tree Alert that you can go on and if you find something you're worried about, you can report it on a website. So I think, firstly, become aware, monitor, look at what's going on around you and flag those concerns if you see them. But if you are actively managing trees, well, learn about the best practice, you know, particularly given climate change. We know how much young trees, for instance, need establishing, need watering if you're planting trees these days, you know, mulching them so they survive through these very hot... uh, dry summers we're having so so learn that best practice and uh which some of the information you can get off the action Earth website
2: brilliant garrant really lovely to talk to you thank you so lovely much for telling us more too. thank you Robert Penn is the author of The Man Who Made Things Out of Trees and he's here with me now at the Gaze Burville stand. Hi, Robert, how are you? Uh, Very
4: good, Claire. How are you doing?
2: Good, thank you. Really enjoying my time here. Actually, I haven't left the Gaze Burville stand for about half an hour or so. But it's great to see what's happening here at Chelsea. Why are you here?
4: Uh, So I'm here because I've got a relaunch of a project called Action Oak. I'm involved with a charity called Woodland Heritage and they're one of the partners in this really really important campaign called Action Oak to try and raise awareness and do research about the plight of the oak which is likely to be significantly affected by pests and pathogens in the future and we need to be proactive rather than reactive. To the threats that it faces, so that's why I'm here. Action oak.
2: Okay, yeah, I just spoke to Geraint, and he was telling us a bit more about it, which is really concerning. And does your book incorporate
4: oak? Uh, no, so the book, the book is is about ash, the ash tree, our relationship with the ash tree over the course of human history. Obviously, the ash is now affected by ash dieback, which is a disease which is going to kill. I mean, it's difficult to know, but somewhere north of a hundred million ash trees in the uk and our landscape will be changed catastrophically over the next next couple of decades what have we learned from ash dieback a lot and that kind of feeds into why i'm supporting action oak but the book is really about the historic uses of ash um, how important it was how we use it in so many diverse ways over the course of human history and what that means today really
2: And how how is the situation with the ash
4: trees now in the country? Um, So, dieback is everywhere. It's across the entire United Kingdom. You won't find a a corner of land that it hasn't reached yet. Um, The kind of best estimate we have is that there's 100, 125 million ash trees in the UK. What can we say? We're going to lose somewhere north of 90% Probably somewhere between 95 and 99%. So that's the bad news. And that, you know, obviously we're behind the curve. The disease appeared in continental Europe a decade or two decades before it got here. So we've got lots and lots of examples of what's happened to ash as a species in uh, continental European countries. So we know where we're going with it. It's bad news. The good news is that a lot of research is being done to try and understand the genetic makeup of the trees that actually are resistant. So let us assume for a moment that somewhere between 1 and 5% of ash trees will be resistant. They will remain in the landscape. Scientists, genomicists, have been able to identify the genotype of a resistant strain those trees are now being propagated and field tested by a small charity called Future Trees Trust with support from DEFRA and, and lots of European organisations. Huge European collaboration on trying to understand how we create resistant ash, propagate it and get it back into numbers. My best estimate for now is that we will have stress-tested ash trees that have the resistant genotype and they will be propagated and we will be planting them out in the landscape by 2035. Okay. That's the bottom point, 2035. So we're still losing trees in the landscape but we can start planting them then because we know that we've got a resistance strain.
2: That's good news.
4: It that is. is good
2: news. It is. So woodlands and looking after our trees is that taught at uh, schools at university levels?
4: So there are several institutions, tertiary academic institutions which teach forestry. The courses tend to be very traditional. I would say that they've slightly failed to keep up with the kind of very dramatic change in how we approach conservation which has taken place across the UK in the last certainly the last decade. And that is of course the rise and rise of the concept of rewilding as a conservation technique or methodology. You know, in a way woodland management is conservation. You know, I own a woodland, I manage it for biodiversity. And that includes cutting down trees and processing them and using those trees to make useful things, but Cutting down trees is an absolutely fundamental part of woodland management, and that is conservation, conserve it, and to improve the biodiversity that exists in that wood. But I think forestry has slightly missed the trick, and the kind of whole rewilding movement, which is very sexy at the moment, in terms of conservation and amongst the young, has kind of stolen a yard. And and what I think we need to do is the tertiary education institutions need to reframe how they offer woodland management and, and forestry more generally. So forestry is not just about growing trees for money. It's about conservation. It's about creating spaces for people to walk and breathe, so public access. It's about natural flood management. It's about proving air, soil and water quality. All of these things are rolled into, taken up by trees. But it's a, it's a really interesting question you ask. And yes, I mean, I think, Forestry, woodland management needs needs to up its game.
2: Very interesting. Rob, well, thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure. By complete luck, I have bumped into Daisy Desire here on Main Avenue at the Chelsea Flower Show. Daisy, how are you?
4: I'm very
5: well. How are you? I'm
2: really, really well, thank you. What a great buzz there is today.
5: I know. It's just so joyful as well, isn't it? It's such a lovely day. And I know the sun is not blazing, but I'm quite happy because I'm obviously in full drag and this wig and everything is quite warm. So it's lovely to be out and about and not be sweating well. Wow my garden whatever <laughs> off you know?
2: yeah, exactly yeah. you look stunning you look absolutely stunning awesome. how many times have you been to the Chelsea
5: Flower Show this will be my third year yes yes it's, it's my third Chelsea do you know it's, it's really really lovely because I think the last two years being kind of new to the industry and in terms of being like a horticulturalist sort of public figure that kind of side of things last two Chelsea's, I've always found a little bit of imposter syndrome but in this last last year I've kind of become like an expert horticulturalist and working as one I'm doing talk on many, many stages at different flower shows and I kind of feel like I've come into my own finally and that's just me personally. So it's, it's lovely to be back and it's lovely to kind of be looking at the gardens in a different perspective as well because now I'm looking more into garden design and, and what that looks. It's really interesting to kind of study the gardens and see which trends are being set and just what's kind of going on this year, you know, in the, in the planting schemes.
2: Now, I have started to follow you on Instagram and I absolutely love your gardening journey. Oh, you. What interested you in gardening and becoming a horticulturist?
5: Well, to be honest, it was one of those things where about five years ago, I throwed myself into gardening and I got myself an allotment. And to be honest with you, I'd never gardened before at all in my life. Never really put on a gardening glove. And in that first year, I killed basically everything other than a marrow. (laughs) But it was from that first year that I fell in love with horticulture. And like the journey very much began then. And I got made redundant and started working as a gardener. And then I ended up dropping out of uni to to study horticulture. And it's just kind of, uh, what do I want to encourage people is not necessarily to drop out to you know, become a horticulturalist but just to try gardening because I kind of do think if everyone can get into gardening whether that's you know on, on your windowsill or even if you do have a small back garden or even an allotment it's just I think the world would be a little bit of a better place yeah yeah
2: absolutely Don't you? I do absolutely I think it's so important and now tell me what do you wear when you garden
5: <laughs> what do I wear I do not look like this definitely no I'm definitely I look completely different I'm always in kind of like almost looking like a builder in my steel toe caps my shorts and a t- shirt and usually a cap um but yeah i am definitely i'm not as glamorous when i'm gardening it's it's very much (laughs) there's there's two different sides to the drag queen gardener live There's literally is the drag queen and then there's the gardener but yeah no it's it's fabulous to bring drag into gardening as well because it's just you know gardening is such an art form i mean we're here at chelsea especially the mac or gardening really isn't it and then obviously you know drag is such an art form. it's just it's fabulous to combine the two it really is.
2: Do you find that people who um, people are following you as a result of being uh, Daisy Desire as well yeah. as your gardening story?
5: It's it's really really interesting because I think I bring a different aspect to gardening. I think, in the nicest way, there was this kind of idea of a gardener very much a few years ago, where it was you if you if you said I'm in my twenties and I first started getting into gardening when I was twenty one. So when I first got into it, this, I, there was an idea of a gardener who was you know the old man going down the plot of the allotment, and you know I'm. Clearly not that. I'm very much a 26-year-old lad who's also a drag queen and it's interesting as well because what I really enjoy is making gardening also a safe space for kind of you know for the queer community as as well. And what's really interesting is a lot of my following are very much of the heterosexual audience and it's kind of it's interesting because I want to bring drag to a gardening audience because it also allows people just to inhabit who they are and who they want to be and have no limits, you know, almost like gardening, there are no limits to it there's a perception of gardening and a perception of drag is so different to everybody else and I, and I think that's just really interesting don't get me wrong i didn't plan to kind of add the two together and become this sort of figure but it's it's come this way and i, I i'm really enjoying it definitely it's all part of the creativity isn't it really? absolutely and, and there's no limits and i think that's the thing whether you are drag or whether you're gardening or both you've just got to enjoy it enjoy that experience find what you like and just run with it
2: i think Absolutely fabulous message and absolutely fabulous you. Thank you so much for talking to
5: me. Oh, thank you so much. Enjoy the show. Thank
2: you. Thank do. you. Well, it's just past lunchtime uh, here at the Chelsea Flower Show. And now I'm catching up with Lee Connolly, who is the UK's leading children's gardener educator who has also got a book called how to get kids gardening and is at the moment championing for children to grow more at school lee it's really lovely to meet you no oh,
1: it's lovely to meet you too it's nice to be here and, and nice to be on the podcast
2: oh well i'm pleased you could come on because i think what you're doing is extremely important and it'd be lovely to let more people know what you're doing at the moment now you were just in westminster last week can you explain what you were doing there
1: yeah that sounds really cool didn't it like, I've really, i love telling people about it but you know what i've been doing like children's gardening for about 10 years now and yeah, we went to Westminster last last week to talk about young people in horticulture and how we can diversify that as well within the horticulture industry. And basically it all came down to curriculum and getting schools gardening, which is what I'm all about. Like I love children's gardening. It's the only thing I've done for the last 10 years. And if we want more young people to be in our industry, then I believe that we should start in primary school, get children gardening, get them outside learning. Uh, And then, yeah, sure, in secondary school, they might lose that a little bit, but it's always going to be there and come back to them. And for me, I left secondary school not even knowing that this was a thing. I never did not know there was a thing called Chelsea. I didn't know there was an industry that was gardening and, and actually doing it as a living. And uh, if we get primary school children gardening, then they're going to know about the industry, know how to grow their own, and then we're going to get more young people into our industry in the future. So that's what I went there to talk about, basically.
2: And how was it received? How did it go down? Do you
1: know what? It went really well. I was with uh, Taysha Hayden-Smith and uh, Lily Matthews, who is part of the Young People Horticulture Association, YPHA. It took an hour for us to give evidence. And they asked at the end what our one thing would be to ask the government. And we all said curriculum. And it was beautifully just all come together at the end. So it was really good. Yeah, I was nervous. Don't get me wrong, I was nervous. But once we got into it, that's my passion. That's my thing that I was just like, I love it. So it was quite easy by the end of it.
2: Really, really, very cool. Fantastic that you're doing that. What's the next step?
1: Well, to be honest with you, for me, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years. And now... I've, I've spoken to so many teachers, so many people in primary schools, head teachers, forest school teachers, and uh, I already run a, a plan called School Garden Success, which gets schools gardening. But now the real big thing is uh, actually speaking to like um, Department of Education, seeing how we can actually fit it into the education system. I tell you the thing, the biggest problem is, and a, a lot of teachers will tell you this, is that primary school education, as it is, needs to change totally anyway and if we can fit gardening into that while they have this big change then all the better because there's so many things that you can fit into education through like horticulture and gardening.
2: There seems a big movement here, particularly this year at the Flower Show, for grow your own, uh, learning how to grow and also to cook the food as well that you grow. And I've noticed just walking around and seeing the various different gardens and exhibits, there are some school children here, primary school children, taking part, which I think is a first for Chelsea. Yeah,
1: it's the first year they've had 100 primary school children who are part of the RHS's campaign for school gardening. And uh, that's special. Like, it really makes it... I, have you been to Hampton before?
2: Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah,
1: Hampton's amazing. I love it because, especially on press day, you've got all the kids running around and it brings a real buzz and energy. And I think that's what's happened today for Chelsea. I think we want these young people to be part of this story, They're part of their life, garden to be part of it. And if I'm really honest, I, I'll be honest with you, I thought when they said they're going to have 100 children, I thought all they're going to be here for is the photo shoots and, you know, a bit of PR. But actually, I've seen so many children walking around... My best moment today has been seeing a class walking around, and they come up to a garden, and they all went, "Wow!" It was. I actually, I feel like crying. I like just thinking about it, because that is special to them, and that is going to be something that they're going to remember forever. If I told my daughter she could come to Chelsea with her class, she'd be so excited. It'd be something to make a proper memory from, and that's what we want for children. That's what we want for our industry as well.
2: Now, you've also been to visit various schools. Uh, A couple of years ago, you did a documentary where you visited various schools to introduce them to gardening. Are you still doing things like that?
1: Yeah, I visit schools all the time, as much as I can, because, one, the, the kids love it. And and it's great to see the kids enjoying it. But for me, especially, like what what I'm doing and trying to get into education, speaking to those teachers, speaking to the head teachers, speaking to those teachers that sort of stand at the back of the hall when we do like assemblies. I've noticed. I talk to the kids. But I'm watching the teachers' faces. And you always see the ones that are not really that interested. And I always try and target them ones at the end to speak to, because at the end of the day, I feel like teachers are the ones that are going to have to lead this in the future and we're we've got to support them as much as possible with funding with information with a bit of direction about where they're going with this sort of thing and then teachers that are not so interested i want to know what, what what's the thing that's going to get them excited about it because there's some amazing teachers out there that lead gardening and in, in schools but you always find that when that teacher leaves then the allotment gets a bit overgrown and a bit run down and if we have all the teachers part of it then that's going to take the pressure off those ones that are sort of leading it and also make sure that continues so the class are always gardening throughout their primary school time.
2: Now, you're known as the Skinny Jean Gardener. Where did that name come from? Or do I need to ask?
1: (laughs) Do you know what? It's a really boring story. So basically, I'm called Skinny Jean Gardener because I garden in skinny jeans. (laughs) But I come about because I was doing a, a pilot for a show. Some girl come up to me and went, oh, you know what you should be called? You should be called the Skinny Jean Gardener. And I went... That's a really good idea. I'll take that. Yeah, that's a really good... And then that's been it. The only bad thing about it is, I'll be honest with you, is in the summer,
2: very hot.
1: <laughs> so hot. Like, I can't, you can't be called a skinny short gardener, can you?
2: Probably not, It no. was obviously
1: a name that was made up in the winter. But, uh, but yeah, you know, so 10 years in now, I can't change it.
2: You can't. No, no, no. And how many pairs of skinny jeans do you own?
1: Oh, I only own three pairs of skinny jeans. I'm becoming minimalist this year. So, like, I'm trying to, like, become a bit more... And minimalist in the garden as well. We had so much stuff that I was going to make stuff from, and it never happened. So, minimalist in, in clover and minimalist in garden, I think that's the thing for me, this here.
2: Very good. Lee, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I've come into the great pavilion now, surrounded by these beautiful displays. And bang smack in the middle is Pollyanna Wilkinson's stand for heroines of horticulture, Pollyanna Congratulations, the stand looks, as last year's, absolutely stunning.
6: Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm really pleased with it.
2: It looks amazing, and it's surrounded by these beautiful wicker flower beds that were created by the Field Farm Project. Now, how did that collaboration come about?
6: Molly saved my bacon. So we have been planning this since December, January, and we had in mind that we really wanted woven willow throughout the garden. We felt it would work really well with the RHS Bothy um but very last minute three or four weeks before the show uh, the very lovely people that were going to weave the willow for us unfortunately had a health scare so we went manically searching for someone who could rescue us and, and molly came to the rescue and molly and nick dropped everything and we and it managed to weave gosh i can't even remember how much it is now 70 linear meters probably a lot more willow in three or four weeks and it's it's stunning it makes the garden in my view
2: yeah absolutely it really adds another dimension to it and it raises the beds doesn't it up a good sort of two three foot actually so you can see them at your eye level it looks absolutely gorgeous now the garden is for heroines of horticulture How did that come about?
6: So it was something the RHS was really keen to celebrate, so it was a real privilege to be invited to then design the garden with that in mind. And it presented us with a problem, really, because there are many women that I admire in terms of horticulture, and it would have been easy to do... A kind of pastiche, I suppose, of a, of a particular designer, but that's not what we wanted to do. So instead, what we've done is you can't see it unless you had a drone, but the garden is actually designed in the shape of a yin yang. So we were looking at strength versus softness. We didn't want to go too girly with it. So whilst it is very cottage garden planting, because our brief was to do sort of quite a crowd pleasing cottage garden traditional planting, it's more about the shape and the design and the thought behind the garden as opposed to trying to sort of be a send-up of one particular female horticulturalist.
2: You obviously think in depth about your gardens because I remember coming last year to see your mother for Mother's Garden, which was also in the Great Pavilion, and that was a really moving garden. And this garden you can walk through and really immerse yourself in as well. What's your favourite bit about the garden?
6: I think actually my favourite thing about the garden is... I may be wrong but I think this was one of the only gardens at Chelsea you can actually walk into whereas with all the gardens obviously on Main Avenue you look at them, with this one you can walk around it, you can walk right up to the plants, so I love that feeling of immersion and what we've got in front of the Bothy is a gathering space which will be a talking space for all sorts of female speakers so it's it's really exciting to have such a female focused piece of Chelsea uh, and I feel very proud to be able to put our name to it
2: Oh okay, so throughout the week you're going to have different women in the gardening world come
6: to talk. Who have you got coming along? We've got Alice Vincent of Norticulture, she's coming. We've got Hazel, who's an incredible florist. Rosie Hardy's coming to talk. I mean, it's going to be full of not only garden designers, but plant growers, journalists, authors. Many really inspiring women related to horticulture are coming to speak, so I think that's going to be lovely. That is
2: lovely, fantastic. Now you are a garden designer by trade, what are your next plans?
6: very good question no no plans other than just focusing on working with our clients to create beautiful gardens we're working on urban and country spaces and the studio is growing but it's really important to us to keep that sort of boutique feel so our focus is on our sort of ongoing projects for the time being no plans for any further show gardens for the time being okay. she says <laughs> <I know. laughs> get through this one first absolutely yeah.
2: well congratulations on this beautiful garden your gardens are ones that I look out for when I come to the Chelsea Flower Show and um, it hasn't failed to impress again this year. I can't wait for next year, Pollyanna. Thank you very much for talking to me.
6: Well, oh, Thank you so much. It's lovely to have you.
2: As the sun comes out and the end of press day at the Chelsea Flower Show draws near, I've come to the Alatex trade stand and I've met with Nellie, of course, and with Julia Parker as well. Great to see you both here, finally. How has your day been? Claire, it's just We did it.
7: (laughs) We did it. It's done. We've planted veg. They survived the slugs, the snails, the aphids, the spring. It's been amazing. Today's just like a calm before the show opens properly tomorrow, and then it's just intense and full and busy and crazy. But it has been a really lovely day, hasn't it, Julie? Just a very gentle day yeah it's been really enjoyable the calm before the
0: storm i guess yeah. and just to see all the planting and all nelly's seeds seedlings plant babies all come to life and look like a show garden has been spectacular
2: it is looking lovely the greens are there in all their different colors and there is some pop of flowers as well so you've got some oranges in there purples the blues a bit of oh look at that gorgeous magenta color so congratulations what a feat will you do that again do you think nelly grow from seed and <laughs> do everything yourself? So obviously growing from seed is magical. It's
7: so magical. I've just got a real love of growing from seed again. If you look at a kohlrabi plant, for instance, I was thinking the other day, I was talking to somebody earlier and and saying if you cut your hands, you could fit all the seeds that we've grown for this stand in your cupped hands and when you look at what that translates yeah. to it's
2: incredible
7: yeah. just the potential in that sort of little space is is amazing so no i i, I might mm-hmm. do it again but actually do you know what also feels lovely is it's been a it's a really genuine labor of love that's all been homegrown homegrown home sown, home planted And it's just been this lovely collaboration of everyone at Alatex. You know, the guys watering, the guys popping in to check on pests in the greenhouse. It's just incorporated everyone. And, you know, we really try and be very much about community spirit at Alatex. And I think this has been a great example of that.
2: And someone just mentioned broad beans. You do, you have broad beans on the plants there. They are very tempting. You haven't had one yet, have you?
7: I haven't, but I think even you know when they get a bit too big, I think they need to be harvested this week. And in fact, Mark Gregory is here, who's done a beautiful plot-to-plate garden, and he is cooking every lunchtime for Chelsea Pensioners, which is a beautiful thing to be doing. And he was saying that if they run out, they could whiz <laughs> over. <laughs> Ooh, oh, you watch him. You might be doing in that in the dead of night. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't ever laughed about that. A little bit of a, a social media scam moment. Uh, yes, because he is literally just across the he road, is, isn't yeah. he? Yes. And it, no, it's beautiful. Honestly, if someone had gone inside my head and come up with the perfect entertaining
2: outdoor social space, that is it. It's really lovely. Now, last time I spoke to you both was at Alitex. And... You were in the midst of the build here, and Julia, you were just about to go up. Yeah. How was that visit during the build week?
7: It
0: was incredible to see. I mean, I know the work that goes on behind it, but to actually see the whole stand come together with Nelly doing more than her fair share of hard graft was just unbelievable. I mean the amount of work that Lenny's put into this stand is incredible. I'm in awe of her, of her stamina, her ideas, and the fact that she's grown everything from seed is it's incredible. And, you know, it, she's right. It is a journey because actually they do become your plant babies and is incredibly therapeutic growing from seed. And I, I love the fact that Nelly has re-found that and had the sort of time, made the time to do it. And I think that's what everybody should try and understand when they come to the stand, that it, it is a whole family-inclusive stand, which
7: is what Alatex is all about as well.
2: How dirty are your fingernails, Nelly? <laughs>
7: Cleaner Look at my hands.
2: Not too bad. I
7: have to use body scrub, literally, to get through. Yeah, they. Um, I don't wear gloves. I, I like to kind of really probably get my hands in, so I don't wear, literally. A few people have commented on my hands, actually, and said, jeez, that's shocking. And you find you get, when you actually wash yeah. them, you get little Brooks. sort of nicks. So you say, "Like mm. there you go, little nicks and cuts.
2: A true gardener.
0: When we have our bun run, we have cinnamon buns every day, which keep us going, and um, Nelly has been feeding everyone, which is brilliant. I should have taken a picture of Nellie's hands
2: because they were literally darker than the cinnamon colour in the bun. Right. <laughs> well, I've heard about these cinnamon buns, and I think we're going to have some in a minute. Last question, though. What happens to all the plants here on the stand once Chelsea is over? We will probably harvest
7: those broad beans because they are over and their, their job is done. Um, but lots of the other stuff we will use at Hampton actually because we're telling the same lovely story about sustainability and growing your own at Hampton lots of stuff will come into its own and be better by Hampton but lots of other stuff will just go and live at Torbury all the stuff inside will go and live at Torbury and it was looking amazing and then it was looking a bit too full and now it's looking pillaged so now we will kind of put it back to its former glory so when all people come and visit it will be looking lovely so yes not much will be wasted
2: maybe there might be one big huge feast over at Mark Gregory's stand at the end
7: would be lovely wouldn't it yes i would be very happy to go and have a nice mellow afternoon chilling out on his
2: stand that'd be great well thank you very much for allowing me to follow you on your chelsea growing journey it's been a pleasure and learned an awful lot from you as well nelly so good luck for the rest of the show and if by any chance you miss the trade stand here at chelsea you heard it from nelly you can go and see it at the hampton court palace flower show Enjoying a glass of something bubbly, I'm now joined by Ben Pope, head gardener, and on the committee of the herbaceous plants.
8: Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's a committee that's sort of throughout the year and we gather and one of our meetings is this lovely Monday at Chelsea. So we get to see all the plants and look around. Yeah.
2: Oh, and what have you seen this year? How's it looking? Uh, I think
8: actually it's looking really good. It feels like Chelsea's back. There's a real buzz. There's an energy, you know, everything is full the gardens, the big show gardens, and also the smaller gardens, all showcasing different things for different people. So actually, yeah, yeah, it's exciting.
2: Now, it's been an interesting winter and spring, and that a lot of plants are probably 10 days, two weeks behind. Has that affected the show gardens here, do you think? Yeah, I think so.
8: I mean, every year it's, you know, whether the spring's early or late, and like you say, it is late this year. So um, it certainly has affected plants, perhaps, that the designers would have selected. But... To look at it you wouldn't know you know there's other plants that have done really well and have come in and people have, have sort of substituted and swapped as best they can to fit their briefs so so actually no i think it's you know it's still got that really gold star standard
2: there's quite a trend now isn't there for grow your own having guns are more accessible for for eating um as well as enjoying is that affecting the herbaceous borders at all Well, to a point,
8: I guess, because some of them have to give give way to that space. And, and, And not only that, there's also the sustainability side. So there's a nod to, you know, as you say, eating, enjoying your space, having it more as an outside space for recreation and catering. So a lot of the gardens you'll see will have kitchens and various cooking facilities. And I think that's, you know, from the book that I wrote, it's a really, really lovely connection to have with your garden that you can actually get food from it, get edibles. You know, you've grown them yourself and eat them. So I think that's fantastic. But as well as that, it does fit into this sustainability side where we're all thinking about the future and actually what is our impact. And so reusing materials, perhaps changing the way we manage our herbaceous borders. You know, and there's this whole look now about even weeds. You know, what is a weed? What are the benefits? And actually, is there beauty in something that we usually call a weed?
2: Yes, now that's an interesting point because I have just read recently that weeds have been reclassified by the RHS. And hurrah yes exactly (laughs) dandelions are being are being celebrated
8: yeah i mean i mean mean, not to keep going on about my book but um you know burdock and dandelion root you can make wonderful wonderful cool drink for summer with that um adding a bit of ginger and lemon so yeah but not only that i mean and we feed them to the tortoise but actually the bees absolutely love them and in in a lawn a bit of bright yellow now can, can be quite a nice thing can't it
2: I love it. Well, every year I let my lawn go, no mow May, but actually it continues to June, July, and then we usually mow it at the end of August when it's all gone down. But um, talking about your book, it was this time last year that I spoke to you, and you mentioned you were working on your book. Now, can you tell us a bit more about how it's gone, please? Remind us of what the title. is. So
8: the title is "What to Sow, Grow, and Do," um, and it's a seasonal guide through the garden, looking at productive, ornamental, and also nature, really. So it's, it's trying to encompass the whole thing, and I it was sort of it was set out to be an approachable beginner's guide perhaps of what to do each season part season but also to to be something to capture the moment capture what's happening around us and that connection because it's i say after gardening for you know 23 years it's something i love and i'm really in touch with and love to share with people i suppose
2: yeah and you are a head gardener and you also write for gardens illustrated magazine
8: yes yeah yeah i do i I had literally last year had the opportunity of doing a column them for a year which was amazing following on from the book so that was that was fantastic and again focusing on what to sow what to grow what to plant what to harvest as well as that, I, I get to go and see some beautiful gardens and write reviews, which I absolutely love because you meet the gardeners, the designers, the owners, you know, and you get to see such a variety that way. So, um, yeah.
2: You have a great job, Ben.
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, I like things, especially in winter when, you know, it's freezing cold mm-hmm. and your your fingers are sore. But, you know, yeah, no, it is, it is a great job and that's why I keep doing it.
2: So what does the future hold? What are you looking forward to in the next year or so?
8: Well, I'm trying to focus on a market garden that I'm creating, which is um, a five-acre field at the moment, and I'm putting in edible coppice areas and all the rest of it, and growing areas. But sort of immediately, I'm I'm doing a little floral display at the um, Royal Windsor Park Flower Show on the 10th of June, so that should be quite exciting. Again, more teaching, more writing, I expect, but also a lot more gardening.
2: Perfect. Sounds good. Ben, it's lovely to catch up with you. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy the rest of Chelsea. Pleasure. You too. We've had a lovely time here at the Chelsea Flower Show. Seen some good friends and met new friends as well. It's been interesting to hear how the Chelsea Flower Show is influencing people this year and lots of inspiration for the coming growing year ahead. Happy gardening.
1: Well, it sounds like you've had a fab day, Claire. Really good to hear you seeing all those lovely people. Join us again mid June for an update down at the allotments to tell you
0: what's been going on. Growing Together is new twice a month and supported by Alitex, modern Victorian glass houses made in South Harting. Get the latest editions of Growing Together at any time at shineradio.uk.
2: Join Shine Radio and dozens of quality stalls at the Petersfield Spring Festival.
3: It's got everything from close-up magic and balloon modelling to fancy dress for princesses and classic cars.
2: (laughs) Live music brings the square alive. There's food and drink all weekend long and loads to do for the kids. You can even try your hand at reading the local news with Petersfield Shine Radio. The Petersfield Spring Festival, all bank holiday weekend.